I would like to greet you with the words of the Hebrew writer from chapter 12, where he says, Ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. That's quite a uh, mouthful of words, and we could study those words for a long time. It's not my sermon this morning, but I wanted to uh, um, open with that scripture, particularly because of the phrase that is used there, the assembly, um, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. I'd like to think this morning a little bit about Jesus being the firstborn from the book of Colossians. Our text this morning is in the book of Colossians, chapter 1 again, and you may turn there. I'd like to um, greet all of you in the name of Jesus and and uh, can say that it's been a real blessing to be here this morning. I enjoyed the Sunday school discussion. Thanks for that, Leroy. Sam, um, really, really appreciated your devotional this morning. And I think it laid a very good foundation for the sermon this morning. I appreciated you um, your uh, getting up early and being blessed by God and His creation and then blessing us <laughs> In return, and um, found myself wondering if we would have had a lot greater blessing if all of us would have done that this morning. But thank you, Sam, for blessing us, drawing our minds to God this morning. All right, Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I know I've read these before, but I want to read them again. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, "...giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. The verses I'd like to think about, especially this morning, are um, verses... 14 through 18. And there's a two-word phrase that, that was repeated, that is repeated in these verses five times. I was wondering if you noticed that, if any of you noticed that little two-word phrase that is repeated five times while we read those verses. Did any one of you see it? All things, right. It, it's there. It's, it's there five times. For by Him were all things created, um, whether they be visible or invisible. All things were created by Him. He says that twice. He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. 
So what is not included in all things? There's nothing that is not included under all things. Everything comes under all things. All things is all things, right? That, that's just what it is. We know what it means. It's not all things and then some other things in a different category over here, but it, it, it's all things. It says here that Jesus has preeminence over all things. It is Jesus up here and everything else underneath. That's what it tells us here in these verses very clearly. And, and, uh, Paul uses the word preeminent here in these verses, not a word that we use a lot, but I think we're somewhat familiar with it. The dictionary would, would say that it means having paramount rank, dignity, or importance. Um, Strong's says that it means to be first or foremost in rank and influence. The Greek root of this word preeminence is the Greek word is protos. There's a few English words that we get from from that Greek root. Probably one of the most familiar ones is the word prototype. Um, A prototype is uh, the original model on which something is patterned after. If you put the word proto, which is the Greek word we're talking about, means first, proto, first, and type together, it would be first pattern or first model. So Jesus is preeminent. He is first. He is protouo. He is in the first place. He has the highest and foremost position. He is over all things. All else is beneath him. And really what Paul is establishing here in these first several verses here in Colossians, in these verses that we're looking at, is the divinity of Jesus. The false doctrine that was floating around in the day, the false doctrines of Gnosticism, taught that matter was evil and that the spiritual and the divine could not mix. They, they were two separate things and you could not mix those two. Um, you could not mix the, the spirit. I'm sorry, you could not mix the spiritual or divine with the flesh. I said that wrong. It's not, not separating the spiritual and the divine, but, that, but they, they said that you cannot mix the spiritual or divine with the flesh or with the physical. They rejected the idea that God could be present in a human body. And Paul is refuting this false doctrine by repeatedly here in Colossians showing that Jesus is God. He's talking, he's, he's really speaking about the divinity of Christ by, by showing the preeminence of Christ and who he is. In verse 15, he says that he is the image of the invisible God. And we looked at that in the last sermon that I preached, Hebrews chapter one. It says he is the express image of the Godhead bodily. In verse 16, it says he is the creator. Jesus is the creator of all things. Verse 17, it says, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. <clears throat> that speaks of the eternity of Christ. And in verse 18, it says he is the head of the church. He is resurrected from the dead. He is the firstborn from the dead. So to say that Jesus could not be God because he had a body of flesh was was an absurd idea. You, you cannot say that because 
A man cannot do the things that Jesus did. These are supernatural things. These are the works of God. And Paul shows us that Jesus has preeminence over all things because he is God. Is really what he is saying. So this morning, the, the title of my sermon or what I want to think about here from these verses in Colossians is the preeminence of Christ in his creation. And I have four things from this scripture that I'd like to uh, specifically look at. And that is, first of all, that Jesus is the firstborn of every creature. Number two, all things were created by Jesus. Number three, all things were created for Jesus. And the fourth one is by Jesus, all things consist. So I'd like to start out with Jesus is the firstborn of every creature. That's in verse 15. It says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? How is Jesus the firstborn of all his creation, of all creatures? We sing the song, O come all ye faithful, that beautiful hymn. The second verse of that song says, True God of true God, light of light eternal, our lowly nature he hath not abhorred. Son of the Father, begotten, not created. The words of that song are taken from the Nicene Creed, which says this way. So this creed was written in 325, I believe it was. It was in the 300s anyway. It says, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible. And you can see that the words of this creed are coming from the book of Colossians. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth. That's just part of that creed, but I wanted to to show you that because of the words that they use there, that Jesus is light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. They made a very clear distinction between Jesus being begotten of God and not being created by God. And that's important. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. I'd like to read verses 1 through 9 of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, verse 1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. 
And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. In these verses, this Hebrew writer is deliberately and masterfully setting Jesus above all of his creation and particularly the angels. In verse four, he says, Jesus has an, has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than the angels. The inheritance, we know that the inheritance is passed through sonship. It is passed through the birthright. It isn't given to the servants. It isn't given to the hard man, but the inheritance is passed through sonship. And then in verse 5, he says, um, this is a direct quote. He says, um, unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That's a quote from Psalm 2. And um, also, again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Again, a quote from Psalm, uh, I think it's Psalm 89. And he uses several other Psalms here in this um, argument that he is making that Jesus is way above his creation and, and way above the angels. These Psalms were prophecies that Jesus would be the begotten son of God. The prophecy that Jesus would be the son, son of God was fulfilled. It was confirmed by God's own voice in the Gospels on two separate occasions once at Jesus' baptism and then again at his transfiguration, God spoke in an audible voice from heaven. What did he say? Remember what God said? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So these prophecies, this scripture in Hebrews was directly confirmed and fulfilled by God audibly speaking. The men that were with Jesus, his disciples heard him say that. They heard that voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So twice God audibly confirmed that Jesus was the begotten son. The angels are created beings. Adam and Eve were created beings. All of us are created beings. All of us, all of nature around us, all of the creation was made by God. But Jesus was not made by God. He was begotten of God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is one of the other translations says that he is firstborn over all creation. And perhaps that would be a better way of saying that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He is set apart and above and beyond because he has not been created, but he was born of God. Jesus was the first person who ever walked the face of this earth who was begotten of God. And that is true both in a physical dimension and in a spiritual dimension. Um, think about the physical dimension. He was conceived in the womb of Mary. Uh, he was born a baby with physical flesh and a blood with a physical flesh and blood body. And even though he was begotten of um, God, he got tired, he got hungry, he got sick. Just like we do, he died a physical death, just as each of us likely will someday. The angel came and said to Mary that 
The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That was, that was, um, partly the physical conception of Jesus. Physical conception, I don't know if that's, it was certainly a spiritual conception as well, but I think you're understanding how I'm making uh, a physical dimension and a spiritual dimension. He was conceived and born of God. He took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He had a physical body that walked this earth. That was the physical part of that. The spiritual dimension of that is that he was the first person to ever live in a physical body without the inherent sinful flesh that we have all gotten from Adam, without that nature of Adam. He was begotten of God with the pure, sinless, perfectly righteous nature of God within him. So what does this have to do with us? Does it really matter? I think it's very important. I think it matters a lot. Um, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30 says this way, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them he also glorified. The thought here, and it's a, it's a, a very exciting thought when we think about it, is that Jesus is the first begotten of God so that there can be many more begotten after him. He's the firstborn among many brethren, it says here. We can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ because we can be like him when we are spiritually also spiritually born of God, when we um, believe in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that He has made and we experience that new birth that Jesus said, without it, we will never be able to come to God. So we must be spiritually born. So the implication of the firstborn of creation is that there will be many more coming after him. And that is us. That is us, brothers and sisters. We can also be born of God. Jesus was that firstborn, but we also can be born of him. And the Apostle John, um, several times in his gospel and also in his letters, refers to Jesus as the only begotten Son of God. So that is true. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. It's true in so many ways. He was the only sinless Son of God. He, he, he was the only one who was begotten of God in that physical sense where God overshadowed Mary and there was an actual conception that took place and He was born as a baby. None of us are ever going to be able to experience that. He was the only sacrifice for sin, the only one who was worthy of being called the begotten Son of God. And yet John also says in John chapter 1 that as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. So we also can be like Jesus, sons of God and daughters of God. We can be brothers and sisters with Him. 
Romans 8 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Because Jesus is the firstborn, we also through faith in him can be begotten of God and become his sons and daughters, be joint heirs with Christ. There's a lot more that could be said about that, and uh, but I think I'm going to move on. Number two of my... Uh, the second point that I'd like to make from this scripture is that all things were created by Jesus. So the first one was Jesus is the firstborn over all his creation. Number two, all things were created by Jesus. Now, we usually think specifically of God, the father being the creator. But there are scriptures that clearly tell us that Jesus is the creator. Jesus also is the creator. Verse 16 is the one that we're looking at in our text. Today, where it says, for by him, and it's clearly speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Again, all things were created by him and for him. John chapter 1, verse 3, all things were made by him, speaking of Jesus again, speaking of the word that was with God, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Ephesians 3, verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. And it's kind of interesting to note that he, the Paul in Ephesians says specifically that God created the world by Jesus Christ. And then there's another one in Hebrews chapter 1, which we just read, where it says, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir over all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So it's very clear. Jesus is the creator with God. Also in the Genesis account of creation, God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. So three times he uses the plural pronoun telling us that Jesus was present and involved in the creation of man and the world. And I believe that was the entire Godhead was present there. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So Jesus is preeminent over all creation because he is the creator. Jesus being the creator, again, it underscores his divinity. It speaks of his equality and oneness with God the Father. It also testifies to his eternity. Long before the creation of the world, Jesus was eternally existent with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I almost hesitate to use those words long before because how do you describe eternity? Jesus was 
eternally existent with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 says, He is before all things. That speaks of His eternal eternal existence with the Father. In verse 16, it tells us that Jesus not only created the visible, physical, material things of creation, but also the invisible and the spiritual things of creation. And I don't know, you know, these these are deep things that we're talking about here about Jesus. And, and I, I sure don't profess to understand everything, but I hope that we can learn together and make it practical into our own lives. And people like to talk about aliens and possible life on other undiscovered planets. And for sure, there is a lot of unknown mystery and about the universe and the bodies in the heavens. There's a lot that man doesn't understand. There's a lot that we don't know about out there. But you know, there's one thing that's sure, and we can, we can be sure of this because of this scripture and because of what the scriptures tell us, and that there is nothing undiscovered by man that hasn't been created by God and hasn't been created by Jesus. We don't have to be afraid of aliens coming into this planet that are foreign to God. God created everything. There's nothing out there that wasn't created by Jesus. He created all of the universe, all of the life in it, every being that ever existed, including the angels, including the spirit world that we know very little about, whether they be of the realm of Satan or whether they be of God's realm. And I'm not sure, again, what Paul had in mind here when he speaks of thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. It is interesting that that he specifically mentions Jesus creating. And, and I think probably he's he's talking about the authorities and governments of the world. Jesus created all authority, all thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. Those are the words that he uses here. Whether those be spiritual thrones and dominions, principalities, and powers, or whether they be physical thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. All of the authorities, the powers, and the kingdoms of history and of the present and of the future are created by Jesus Christ. I'd like to make just one practical lesson from that for us, and and that is, I think that we do well to recognize and respect the governments and authorities over us today, right now, that they are set up by Jesus Christ. I don't see how we can get around that with this verse where it says, All things that were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And I say this because there are among our own conservative Anabaptists those who are saying since the last election that Joe Biden is not a legitimate president and that he has not been put in by God because there was fraud and there was things that were going on that are deliberately being hidden and so on. And I'm not saying that there was no fraud or corruption in that election. But when hasn't there been fraud and corruption in the governments of this world? We can expect these things. 
from that other kingdom that is out there. Those things have been around forever. As long as the kingdoms of this world have existed, there's been conspiracies and assassinations and corruption and fraud and all of those things that go with it. But even if there is fraud and even if the government is corrupt, the scripture is clear that they are set up by God. The powers that be are ordained of God, Paul said in Romans chapter 12 or 13. Very, very clear. The powers that be are ordained of God. And I understand there are many variables and influences in an election and in the setting up of a king or a president. People have a voice. They can vote. Um, the perfect political ad can swing an election one way or another. There, there may be lying and cheating. There, there's all these myriad things that are involved in setting up an authority in the kingdom of this world. But at the end of the day... And I think we need to recognize this as the people of God. At the end of the day, when the dust is settled, the person in power is there because he has been put there by God and by Jesus Christ. And God is going to use him. God has a purpose for him. God can take him down again whenever he wants to. I think we need to be careful that we, that we recognize that. Daniel chapter 4 Verse 17, very clear. This is when um, God is taking King Nebuchadnezzar from his throne because of the pride of his heart when he was um, taking the pleasure and pride in all that he had built in Babylon. And he said, look at this great Babylon that I have built and so on. God said, I'm going to take you from your throne. I'm going to make you like a beast because of your pride. This is what it says in Daniel chapter 4. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones. Speaking of what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. To the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basis of men. That's clear. God uses the basest of men. God used, and he has. We can look back in history and see men, terrible leaders like Nero and Hitler and Stalin. You know, we struggle with the idea that they were set up by God, but I believe we need to recognize that God set those men up and he took them down again and he used them. He had a purpose for it. So that was kind of the bunny trail. Sorry about that. But we're thinking about Jesus being preeminent over his creation because all things were created by him. He created the natural world that we see around us. He created the invisible, the thrones, the dominions, the principalities, the powers. There is nothing in this world that Jesus is not presiding over. There is nothing that he has not created. The third point that I like to think about is that all things were created for him. It says in verse um, 17, all things were created by him and for him. And we could ask the question, you know, wasn't, but wasn't the world created for us to enjoy and for us to experience and delight in. 
And yes, I believe it was. I think the answer to that is yes. God does want us to enjoy and delight in his creation. And Sam was doing that this morning when he was out listening to the birds. And I was doing that this morning when I was studying. My windows were open and I watched the sunrise, beautiful sunrise. And yeah, the birds are amazing this time of the year. There was a cardinal singing outside of my window. Just just the the springtime of fresh clear spring air the the green everywhere it it god does want us to notice and to delight in his creation the problem is ungodly men who make the creation an end in itself and romans talks about that in chapter 1 it says they change the truth of god into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator. Man is the creature. We are the creation. And when we begin to honor and worship ourselves or other men, it says that we change the truth of God into a lie because the truth of God is that he gave creation. He created man and the world and everything in it for the sole purpose of bringing glory and honor and pleasure to Christ Jesus. The entire purpose of God creating man in the world was to draw all men to Jesus Christ. He is the Savior, the Redeemer, the Creator. And if you live your life and you miss Jesus, you miss everything. Jesus is the cause. Jesus is the purpose. Jesus is the reason you were created. You were created for him. I was created for him. All men were created for him. All creation was created for him. And when we, when man begins to take that attention away from Jesus and begins to worship the creation and honor himself, then he is taking what belongs to God and he's missing the entire purpose of what the creation was for. He's missing Jesus Christ, the creator. Roman, or Revelation chapter 4, 11 and 12. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. This is a picture of how God intended it to be. This is the creature worshiping and giving pleasure and delight to his creator. Jesus is preeminent over his creation because all things were created for him. He is the one who is to receive all the glory and the honor and the pleasure. And yes, it's right, it's good for us to enjoy God's creation. But in enjoying it, it is important that we recognize that Jesus, that it has been created for the purpose of bringing honor and glory and delight to Jesus Christ. That is the end to which the creation was intended for, to bring us to Jesus Christ. The last point that I like to think about is that by Jesus, all things consist. And this is um, in verse 17. He is before all things 
and by him all things consist. Consist means to exist or to be, to be capable of existing. So Jesus not only created all things, he also keeps all things in existence. He's holding these things together. It's because of him that all creation continues to be. And again, a verse from Hebrews chapter 1. I was really surprised by the parallel thoughts in this these verses in Colossians and Hebrews chapter 1. Um, I found myself again and again going to Hebrews chapter 1. It says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Right there it is. Jesus is upholding all things by the word of his power. By him all things consist. In Genesis, when God began to create, he said, God, it says, it tells us in Genesis several times, and God said, let there be. The scriptures tell us that the worlds were framed by the word of God. God spoke the world into existence. That's that powerful divine word that spoke the world into existence is the same powerful word that holds it all together and keeps it going. Without the upholding power of the word of Jesus, the world and all of creation would disintegrate. It would collapse into chaos and nothingness. It would cease to exist. Jesus is preeminent over his creation because he is holding it together. He is causing it to exist. Paul said in the book of Acts, in him we live and move and have our being. So as I close this sermon, I'd just like to again bring us back to the fact that Jesus is preeminent over all things. And we have been looking at some deep things about Jesus. And again, I am not here to tell you that I understand all of these things, but I believe they're important. And one of the reasons I, they are very important, these things are important, is, is that we under, that it is important that we understand the position of Jesus and who he is and where he at, where he is in comparison to his creation. Why is that important? Well, it has to do with our attitude of service toward him and who we think he is. In our Sunday school lesson, we talked about Paul and his conversion experience on the Damascus Road. Paul asked two very, very important questions when that light came and knocked him down and he fell to the ground. He said, Who art thou, Lord? And what wilt thou have me to do? We have kind of been looking at the first question uh, in this sermon of who art thou, Lord? And we've just just kind of scratched the surface. But, you know, what we think about who Jesus is has a lot to do with that second question of what wilt thou have me to do? Paul asked that second question because he recognized instantly that that light that struck him down from heaven was the Lord it was the Jesus that he had been persecuted, the one that he had hated before. He was persecuting his followers. He was throwing them into prison. And all of a sudden he realized, this is the Lord. This Jesus that I have been persecuting is the Lord. That's why he asked, 
what wilt thou have me to do? And so what we think about Jesus and who he is and his position in the Godhead and his position in comparison to his creation has everything to do with how we are going to live. In Hebrews chapter 12, in that scripture that I read at the beginning, it says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. That's for us. Because Jesus is Lord and is preeminent over all of his creation, that gives him the platform and the power and the authority to ask us to live the way that he wants us to live. And that's why we do that willingly in humble obedience because we recognize who he is. As ye have received him, so also walk ye in him, the scriptures tell us. So we understand that Jesus is Lord. He is preeminent. Now we must also love and obey and live our lives in a way that testifies that we understand who he is. Shall we kneel for prayer?